Good evening and welcome to Direct Impact Broadcasting, the station of growth and transformation. Affiliate of Creative Broadcasting presents Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson with your host, Taiwana Wilson, as she welcomes her guest to the studio. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson. I am your host and leadership mentor, Tywana Wilson. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. So excited and glad that you landed on this podcast. This podcast is a weekly show where I have various mentors from all around the globe that come and share with you practical leadership career, and business tidbits that you can use. These tidbits are not just helpful in your career, business, and professional life, but also in your personal life. So it's important to hear from different voices because they could be bringing something that you have not thought about before. So do me a favor, two things. One, Come on in to our virtual learning laboratory and let me know where you're coming in from. So drop it in the chat so that I can welcome you in properly. And then the second thing is share this broadcast out with your network. You could be the key to somebody else's door. Somebody might need to hear this message. And tonight's mentor is no different. I have another phenomenal mentor that I will be bringing to you. And if you are in the healthcare space or a nurse, you definitely will be interested, but you don't have to be. But if you are, I know how we are when we have somebody that's in our similar field. And so before I bring our mentor on, I wanted to also make sure that you knew that It's Tuesday. So what does that mean? Another episode of Elaborate Topics dropped today. So go to Direct Impact Broadcasting Network or your favorite podcast platform. Today's guest on that show was Dr. Rodney Rohde, and he talked about some awesome things. So all of my infectious disease, microbiology educators, all of you, you're really going to be interested in this particular episode. Stephanie did a great job interviewing him. So make sure you check it out. And even if you're not a friend of the laboratory, it's still a good show for you to go check out. So without further ado, let me bring on my special mentor. Good evening, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am excited to have you on. So thank you so much for tuning in and jumping on and sharing. I know it's going to be awesome. So I am just excited to have you here. Well, thank you so much. It's really an honor to be here. I was telling you earlier, I'm I'm really excited to be here. The only reason I'm nervous is because I have my dog sitting in front of me who might just start barking for no reason. So I'm hoping <laughs> that he just keeps himself quiet while, while we go live. <laughs> It'll be fine. I mean, that's the whole part of it. People are bringing their whole selves to work, to their businesses, to their careers. And that's just a a part of it is, you know, I have, as everybody know, I have a small child and she frequently makes an appearance. So, you know, the show goes on. (laughs) 
So with like all of my mentors, before I get into reading your bio and a little bit about you, let us know where you're coming in from, because I try to bring mentors from all over the globe. And so where are you joining us from today? I am joining you today from Vancouver, British Columbia, not Washington State. So I'm coming from Canada. Ooh, Canada. I like it. So again... (laughs) viewers and those that will be catching a replay maybe listening to this tonight's mentor is coming to us from canada so i'm excited about it (laughs) thank you again no problem so let me read a little bit about our mentor for tonight and i know that you know this is just a little snippet and michelle can give us more but she is an rn turn leadership development coach and consultant who supports leadership from feeling burned out, frustrated to aligned and authentic so that they can be the leader everyone wants. She has more than 25 years experience in executive leadership roles and have developed a leadership approach that encourages leaders to understand how they hold space for others so they can create healthy and safe workspaces where everyone feels valued. That's awesome. You know, I love me a leadership coach. And I also love that you are a nurse and healthcare professional. So I love, love, love that. And before you get on, we do have a guest. So I want to make sure that we give them a shout out before you get started talking a little bit. Great. So we have Gail who's joining us. Hey, Gail. She says, good evening, Coach T. Looking forward to hearing some great ideas from Michelle. So she is excited. Well, we're not going to disappoint, Gail. <laughs> so I, I've read a, a little bit about you. So if you want to, you know, if there's anything else that you want to share, if not, I'll let you kind of take it away with what you have to share with us this evening. Sure. Well, you know, I don't really like talking about myself, but I'm happy to do that. Sometimes people want to know kind of the backstory and how you got to where you were. So I can save that kind of for later and just give the juicy stuff up front. And if we have time, then I can talk about myself at the end. But, um, you know, where I think I really wanted to start before we kind of get into those five things that I wish I knew at the beginning of my leadership journey was really some thoughts around um, defining leadership some self-awareness pieces and also the idea that I think some leaders go into a leadership role thinking they have to know everything. And when I kind of had an epiphany in these three areas, they were really game changers for me in terms of how I approached and developed my leadership style. So, you know, for me, leadership really, I believe that we've made leadership far more complicated than it needs to be. I, at its core, I believe that it's an exchange of energy between two people. And the way that I generally describe this to people that I work with is, you know, that feeling you get if you go to a dinner party or you're at an event and someone walks into the room and you just feel like, oh, who is that person? And you're sort of drawn to the energy that they bring into the space. For me, that's what I, what I um, think is very similar to a leadership style that, Um, that resonates with me and that I teach and support leaders through. Um, Really that, you know, I'm responsible for my own emotions and whatever energy I bring to a conversation or an experience with another person is going to get matched. 
And, and so really I have a, a responsibility to show up as the best version of myself whenever possible. So part of that is just learning how to hold space for other people. And in order to do this, we need to know who we are and ourselves and that inner workings of, of what makes us tick. And, and I think that that requires a great deal of humility, not only to do the deep dive that we need to do, because sometimes when we do that, we uncover parts of ourselves that well, maybe we're, we've been you know, pushing down and, and, and there are parts that, that are hard to bring up. There, there might be some trauma there or things that we don't really want to admit about ourselves. And so that can be really humbling. You need to give yourself a lot of grace to go through that. Um, but I also think that it, it requires you to let your ego get out of the way so that you can fully hold space for other people, recognizing that in that moment, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them, which is really what leadership is. And so I believe that when people feel valued, seen and heard and validated, um, they feel like they have purpose in the workplace. And, and I believe that my greatest responsibility as a leader really is to keep people safe. That's it. So when people don't feel safe, though, they often don't perform well. They can, you know, behave badly. And, and I think that that often leads to them not feeling engaged or loyal to an employer. And what they really want is to belong. They, they want to feel part of a larger whole. Because at the core of what makes us human is that we're hardwired to connect. We're all wired in the same way. And when people don't feel safe, they're less likely to connect with other people, to ask questions and share ideas with their thoughts because they're afraid of being judged or not being um, brought into a larger group. So I need to take the time as a leader to make sure that people feel safe, to understand what it is that they're worrying about when they're at work so that I can help them through those things. And in the research that I did in developing my leadership approach and subsequently an eight-week online leadership program was that one of the number one reasons why people leave a workplace and often work that they love is not for a job that offers better pay. It's really to escape poor leadership. And so what I thought was, is like, what's the most genuine way to make people feel safe and engaged? Well, that's building trust. And I can build trust by being authentically myself and coming from a place of integrity. And for me, integrity means that I'm being part of um, showing my, my core values. And I'm also taking personal responsibility. And for me, personal responsibility means that every action or inaction I take requires that I understand the responsibility of that outcome. I can't be held accountable or responsible for other people but I can be responsible for the outcomes that happen as a result of my inability to take a stand on, I don't know, maybe a social issue or something as simple as the food that I decide to put in my mouth, healthy versus non-healthy food. And I think that when you are practicing leadership from a place of integrity, it makes decision-making so much easier because you're following a set of core values. It's like, you know, it's that North Star it follows your purpose and your why. And these are the non-negotiables. And so you, you can stay really consistent with the decision making. And I think that the other piece of that is that it allows people to feel really safe because they know what to expect from you. So it builds trust really quickly. So I, you know, I try to not use the word team. 
And I encourage the employers and the organizations that I work with to also stop using the word employee because I think that we should be replacing it with individual because really what we're doing is we're supporting people. And those people don't owe us anything because they have chosen to be employed at our organization. It really starts with seeing every person as a human being who has potential and opportunity because most people come to work every day wanting to do a good job. So I think that a, a more humanized business strategy really is to recognize that there's a connection between the work life that we share and our personal life. And that this relationship should never evoke a power struggle, really. And so one of the things that I think that leaders can benefit from is really, as I said earlier, spending time developing their own understanding of where they might have some emotional bias. Because when I understand my lived experiences and how it shapes the world as I see it, it allows me then to be curious about experiences that are different from mine so that I can just humbly listen and try to learn. Um, and as a result, it allows me then to hold space in a better way for other people because now they feel welcomed. So what I see often is that many leaders lack an understanding of, of how to do this and why this is important. And as a result, then they're not prioritizing human connections over bottom lines. And this is just a common practice we see often in really large corporations is that it's all about the bottom line. And, and what I'm trying to do is, is change that. So, you know, I think it's a good business strategy to treat people well and treat people as human beings. But more importantly, it's just the right thing to do because we all want to be treated with respect. We want to feel like we belong and that we we're valued and we matter. Um, and, and my goal now, I think moving on is really to make sure that I'm helping to provide leaders and organizations with the ability to see how they can do things differently so that they can treat their people better. So that kind of leads me to one of the other pieces about not knowing. And this was a huge game changer for me, really. Um, you know, I think that a lot of us get into leadership roles or, or if we're thinking about going into a leadership role, there could be a fear or some anxiety around thinking that you have to know everything. And this was a huge one for me. I thought, you know, I, I have to know everything. And if I don't know, I can't really admit that I don't because people are expecting that, that I do. That's why I'm in the position. And what I really learned was that it's actually a really good thing to not know everything. And that kind of blew my mind and, and opened up a whole world for me when I realized that that could be a really positive thing. And the reason I personally think it's positive is because it allows for new learning but it also, and I shouldn't say but, I think more importantly, it shows a great deal of vulnerability. When a leader is able to say, I don't know the answer to that question, it shows others that you're willing to be vulnerable, which demonstrates, again, that you're coming from a place of integrity, that you would rather tell someone I don't know than lie or give them a half answer or a response um, or make something up if, you know, I've seen some people do that. And I really believe, and I've seen this to be true, and I think that when you do research in human behavior, you see that people respect people who admit and come from a place of integrity more because they realize that you're choosing honesty over the shame or embarrassment of someone telling you, you should know that, or why don't you know that, or, or you know, trying to make fun of you for not knowing that because it's what they think is expected. And so I always say, hey, let's go and find the answer out together. 
So, you know, and it's, and it's great. And, and I really have found that people are, are very appreciative of, of that level of honesty and enjoy kind of coming along for the ride and figuring it out together. So, um, you know, I'll just, I'll kind of get into the meat of it here because I know that a lot of people were here kind of for the, the five things that I promised. And, and then if we have time, we can, we can talk about other things. Um, it's a, it's an area that I'm so passionate about and I really just love pouring value, um, into, um, my leadership approach for people. So I'm, I'm hoping that, um, people are, are going to find this valuable. These are really five things that are super simple to do. And that's why I love them so much because, um, their habits that if you get in the in the habit of doing every single day can truly change your workplace culture and your employee engagement. Nothing's going to happen overnight, but you will start to see things moving very, very quickly. And I really believe that it's all about making small shifts. I heard an analogy a few years ago that if a ship was sailing in the middle of the ocean and it turned two degrees, it would end up in a completely different place. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'd like to think that it's possible with winds and tides and, um, you know, all the other elements. And I really believe that by making small shifts, we can really turn the dial in, in monumental ways. It's not about making grand gestures often that are, um, I think, sometimes setting people up for failure and they're not often sustainable and they don't often feel authentic. It's kind of like the you know, um, the leadership books that tell you that if you do A, B, and C, you'll get to, you know, G, H, and I. And, and I, um, I think that you have everything you need to be an exceptional leader. It's really about understanding how to connect with other people and, and really how we're hardwired to do that. So the first thing that I always recommend people do is uh, get out of your office every day. If you have an office and you sit in an office to get out of it and be seen, go where your people are and be seen by them. And, and part of that is to ask questions. Ask people, how is your day going? Ask questions of them that you would want someone to ask of you. And this can be a really hard one. And sometimes I actually have to give leaders prompts because it feels so awkward at the beginning to be talking to people that they normally don't talk to. And I tell them, you can't talk to the same people every day. You should be trying to find new people to talk to so that you continue to flex this muscle and it becomes, it's going to feel a little awkward potentially at the beginning, but it will get easier and better. And um, it's just really important that people see that you're, you're out and you're trying to engage with them in a really authentic and genuine way. So when you ask those questions, it's really about seeking to understand what their experience is like in the workplace, things that you can do to help make their day better. One of the things that used to happen when I worked in a long-term care home was my office was actually right, um, right at the front entrance where staff would have to hand scan in and out of the building at the beginning and end of every shift. And I would often stand at my office door uh, at the end of their shifts. And sometimes I would have like a bowl of chocolates and people would take them. And sometimes I would just stand there and ask people, how was your day? And a lot of the times I got fine, fine. And I, I could have left it at that, but I felt that would have been really um, not genuine because they clearly were not fine. And that really is just leaving them feeling like, well, she's just standing there. Um, and so I would ask people, oh, well, that doesn't, your face doesn't really represent that you're fine. 
do you have some time that we can talk about it maybe tomorrow on a break? Or um, can I come onto the floor and can we have a chat about it? I'd really be, I'm interested to learn more about what's happening for you. And, you know, at first I think people were reluctant to say, okay, um, it was sort of like maybe opening up Pandora's box. But when they realized that we were really just going to have a very casual conversation and I was really truly there to understand what it was that was happening for them. I I would get people coming into my office all the time asking if they could, you know, book a five or 10 minute at time to sit down and chat with me, which I think is just really great. So, um, you know, it's about being seen. It's about going to where the people are at. People will follow leaders that they feel that they know, like, and trust. And if they feel that they can approach you and they relate with you and, and the things that you say resonate and they're consistent with your actions, they'll follow you. So one of the other things I challenge leaders that I work with is to walk into a room full of people that they lead and look at the reactions of the people that um, are in the room. Now, if they look terrified, chances are you're doing a few things wrong. Because what you want to see is that they look happy and relaxed to see you because that they know that when you're there, you're there to offer support and to offer value and encouragement. You're not there to ridicule or tell them the things that they're not doing right um, or to create chaos and confusion. Uh, and so, you know, that can often be a real eye opener for some leaders who might think that they're doing a great job, but there's a disconnect or um, a lack of resonance with the people that that they lead. And those people are just are not comfortable telling them that they're they're just um, not connecting on a deeper level. The second tip that I have is to stop using the words, but should try and if only. And I'll tell you why. So words are super powerful. And they can sometimes send messages that we're not really intending to send to people. My husband tells me sometimes that I have a lemon face. If he is saying something to me and I can kind of like scrunch my face up and I don't realize I'm doing it. And he says to me, like, your face is not representative of what I know is going on in your head. And so, you know, you just need to be really mindful of, of what you're saying to people through your gestures and your facial expressions. So the word but, for me, this is a filler word in the English language. We uh, we use it and and I'm, you know, I, I use it wrong as well. Well, I wouldn't say wrong, but in this context, I, I still have to catch myself using it in this way. And, and so generally what we do is we use the word but to string two sentences together. So an example of that could be, I really liked the red dress you wore yesterday, but I like the blue one you're wearing today better. Some people might say, well, what's wrong with that, Michelle? And well, there's nothing really wrong with it. But what it does is it's a, it, there's a subtle, uh, it subtly negates the positive statement that came before the but. So it's sort of minimizing it. It's like a backhanded compliment. Another word that does this is however. And I've seen this used, um, you know, in, in some cases where, I really like the report you wrote. However, it was missing a few key points. Again, it's not necessarily bad, but it it is taking away some of the positive that came before it. So my recommendation is just take the butt out of the sentence and put in a period. I liked the red dress you wore yesterday, and I like the blue one you're wearing today. You, you don't need the butt. The next one is should. 
So, you know, I think people have heard this. Don't let anyone shit all over you. It's I didn't make that up. But, you know, I think that people understand when they hear that it really convey can can convey blame and that the person that did something didn't know any better. And sometimes this person is ourselves and it can really lead to negative self-talk and it can be incredibly destructive. I know that I can be my own worst critic sometimes and I have to stop and ask myself at times, would I talk to a close friend this way? And most often my answer is absolutely not, but yet I think it's okay to do it to myself. And, and again, that's just a, that's a check-in. It's an asking and, and allowing myself to sit in that spot to say, why, why is it okay for me to speak this way to myself, but I know that I would not speak to someone else this way. So the next word is try. Now, this one's a kind of a tricky one, and I never really understood the word try because I didn't understand how it could be perceived as negative. But the word try implies that when you use it, you didn't really think you would succeed. Uh, so if I were to say, um, would you be able to get that information to me by tomorrow? And the response is, well, I'll try, knowing that there's no way I'm going to be able to do it. It kind of gives me a get out of jail free card. It's a fallback. It says, well, I tried. So the exception, though, is when it's actually possible. And so in this example, it would be if I were to take away all the work that you currently have right now so that you can focus on this one report, do you think you can finish it in the next two days? If I say I try, that's a very different context because the probability of me being able to get it done is quite high when you compare it to the first example. And then the last one is if only, and I call this the, the if only game. And this is a really destructive mind game. It's the, if only I had more time, if only I had more money, if only I had more resources or more friends. And this is really a scarcity mindset. And it doesn't help leaders cultivate a sense of abundance and feel like they're in alignment. And they're constantly feeling when they're in this space that they're, they're chasing after something that they, if they could just have or be something that they're lacking, that everything would be okay. And it's been my experience that when you come from a place of lack or when you're constantly sitting in a place of lack, that's what you draw more in. You, you can't manifest anything when you're coming from a place of scarcity and lack. So what I often recommend is to try to use words that will help shift the focus to strengths of yourself and of others. And when you can start looking at people um, for their strengths and the strengths that you bring to the situation as the first thing that you notice, as opposed to what you notice after, you start to realize that that just starts to come more naturally. And you start to come from a place of um, a mindset where you're not in a place of lack, you're really coming from a place of abundance. So the third thing is to approach every situation with a growth mindset. So what I mean by this is that it's more of a, an employee-centric view. So, you know, I think that sometimes employers, well, not sometimes, I know this to be true because I've experienced it myself, is that a lot of employers will say, well, what can I get my employees to do for my business? And they look at it as the employee's responsibility to get the work done. Instead, I suggest that you shift it to the employee perspective and say, as an employer, what changes 
do I need to make to improve the quality of the work environment for the people who work here? Now, I would like to say that I created that and I was genius enough to come up with that theory, but really I think it comes from, and some of you may have heard this, Simon Sinek, for those of you who know him, uh, posed this to uh, listeners in one of his infamous TED Talks, where he really talked about people who, um, and, and employers who focus on what they need to do to improve the quality of life for their employees, not the other way around. And I think this aligns with my earlier comment when I said, employees don't owe us anything as leaders. Just because we employ them doesn't mean that there's a power struggle where now they owe me something. It always has to be seen as a equal and respectful relationship in order for there to be a positive path forward. So the number four is to listen with humility and with the curiosity to learn from experiences that are different from your own. And I, and I mentioned this briefly earlier, but this is a really important one for me. I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of First Nations here in Canada, across BC. We have 203 nations in our province. And this was something that I learned from a lot of knowledge keepers and elders, that it is so important to always listen with a genuine curiosity and interest. And that is humility. And when you do that, you can never ask a wrong question. I think that sometimes people are really afraid when there are cultural differences or different races and people have come from different experiences, lived experiences, to maybe ask a question that could be perceived as offensive or wrong. And people are so afraid to, to make that mistake. And of course, nobody wants to intentionally say something that is offensive to someone else. However, I think that by not having those conversations, it also is not allowing for really rich dialogue and an understanding so that you can kind of grow and learn from, from, uh, from people who have backgrounds that are different than yours. And what I learned from the elders and what they taught me is that when you ask with an open heart and you're asking from a place of true humility, you can never ask the wrong question. It also allows you to respectfully ask other people to maybe challenge their current beliefs. You don't have to get into a power struggle and say, well, I think you're wrong and I'm right. You can say, I, I see things in a different way. And then it opens up the opportunity to have a conversation about why. So I think that, again, it, this allows us to, as leaders to prioritize having communication and open and respectful dialogue with those on our teams and those that we lead. Because we don't want to assume that we know what people need to feel valued or what can add value to their day or what I need or maybe don't need to do uh, to help them with the work that they do. Rather than making assumptions about what people need or want, I need to just ask them to sit down and have frank conversations with people. And this is really how we hold space for other people. It's understanding that the way that I see the world is based on my own lived experiences and how I perceive things. What I perceive as danger, the difference between right and wrong, it's often rooted in long-standing belief systems. And it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person if it's different from someone else. But I am going to say something that some people might not like. We have the ability and to, to access so much information at our fingertips that will help us learn and grow. And I believe that because of this, ignorance is a choice. If you choose to not seek out information and to um, 
speak to and gain information from people that have different lived experiences than your own as a leader, you're really not giving yourself the opportunity to lean in to those outside edges where the most growth happens, where you can really kind of challenge yourself and ask yourself, why, why am I feeling resistance? What is it about this conversation? And really sit in that space and ask yourself, how do I, how do I process this? Why is this different? And, and, and really lean into that. And I think that when we don't do that, we're not giving ourselves the full opportunity to grow and develop as exceptional leaders. The last thing for me is to do one kind thing for someone every single day. For me, this is a way that I help to make other people thrive in the workplace because as I said earlier, we're all hardwired to connect. We need to feel that we have purpose and that we're contributing to something larger than ourselves. So I think that leaders can inspire other people by asking them to reflect and share on what they care about, what motivates them. Why did they even want to work in the organization in the first place? The thing is, is that when we help others, that is providing purpose in our life on its own. And when you're having a really bad day, that's when you should be helping someone the most because it will make you feel better when you can see the impact that you can make on somebody else's day. The other piece of it is that it's contagious. I'm going to get a bit nerdy here because this is the nurse side of me. But when you help someone, it feels good. That's a release of dopamine. That's that feel-good hormone that we all have. And when we feel good, we want to stay in that space longer. So people have a tendency to reciprocate kindness. It's contagious. So I think that if I were to leave like one call of action for people, I would say that one of the things that I did a few years ago is I crafted a person or a personal mission statement for myself. And it was a game changer for me. Um, and so, you know, if we have time or there's questions, I'm happy to read mine if people kind of want to understand a framework of what it might look like, and then you can kind of go and craft your own, or you can reach out to me, and, I, and I'm happy to, to share that. Um, but I would say that for me, that was really important. And all the leaders that I work with, I have them craft uh, their own personal message, because I think that it reminds you, what are your core values? What are the non-negotiables? And what are the North Star? And that really is a place that you can come back to over and over and over again, so that you stay in that place of humility. So I think the last thing I'll share with you in this little bit about myself is there's five things that I live by. So I get always involved in things that I'm passionate and curious about. I recognize that fear is the only thing between the life that I want and the life that I am living. I try to be kind and humble, especially when nobody's looking. And I've learned this year the word, my word of 2022 is surrender. That's a hard one for me. But I know that the universe has a plan and anything that is intended for me will never pass me by. And I also know that every day is a new beginning. So thank you. Wow, Michelle, that was absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was. I can tell that you really live by those core values and everything that you said. I can really believe that you live it and you actually do it in the workplace. So that's yeah. awesome. You you mentioned so many great nuggets. And before I get into the nuggets that I wrote down, we do have some viewers in our audience that I want to uh, share their information, what they put. 
because they wanted to share with us. So wanted to welcome them. So Dr. Alexandria Rosa, she's tuning in from Ohio. So welcome. Thank you for tuning in. So definitely want to give her a shout out. She's a fellow nurse of yours. Yeah, uh, Michelle. So that's awesome. And mm -hmm. then we have Carl. So Carl is a first timer. Hey, Carl. So it's the first time tuning in and listening to the show. So I hope you check it out each week. But one of the things that he mentioned, especially as you were talking about the words that we shouldn't say or and replace with other words is a great way to cult cultivate the words that leaders need to use. So that was something that stuck out for him. When you talked about uh, listening with humility, Dr. Rosa said that was beautiful because you could feel it as you were talking. You could feel that you that you believe that. And so I, I'll get into some of the things, other notes that I took. But if you have questions for Michelle, drop them in the chat. And we will uh, make sure that we uh, try and address those. But I love that coming from a place of integrity and building trust. I think that's very important. Uh, and for leaders to get out of the office, uh, I think getting out of the office and, and knowing your employees and rounding uh, with your team <laughs> now everybody that's the problem when you talk about the power of words now everybody they are they're tripping over their words trying not to use words and there's no right and wrong it's it's a it's a muscle that we all need to flex and and i catch myself using them too so you know i sometimes i'm like you're kind of a hypocrite you're doing what you tell everybody else not to do um you know and and it, it it's just part of 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 how we speak and and the vernacular that we all use it's it's and i don't think it's about not ever doing it it's really about being mindful and and as often as you can choosing to to maybe say things differently yeah so what would you say in instead of team well I, so I do believe that there it's fine to refer to people as teams. Like I'm not saying don't ever use the word team. Mm -hmm. I think in the context of the way that I teach it to leaders at the very beginning, often of their journey, they refer to people as teams in that they are trying to create a cohesive team. And like, what do I need to do to support my team? Mm -hmm. And what I often tell them is that you're kind of biting off more than you can chew what you really need to do is see them as individuals because each one of them are going to have their own needs. We all have needs. And it doesn't mean that um, as a leader, you have to drive yourself crazy trying to meet individual needs of every person. Within mm -hmm. those individual needs, there's going to be shared core values. And so what you can do is bring your team together and say, in order for us to work cohesively, what I want to do is spend some time identifying what our individual values are and where then those individual values, where there's an overlap, where we share those values, and then how those align with the organizational values. That makes sense. And, yeah. and you're right. I've, I've definitely heard that where people are talking more so about the group, but not have not spent that time getting to know each person on an individual level so you're right it's, it's hard to fix the team if you don't even know who makes up 
you well, are and, and I've seen some teams that work really well together. They just, I think sometimes it's just personality traits. They tend to just work well together. And then other ones really struggle. And it's hard to find the definitive reason why sometimes it works quite easily and naturally and why other times there's a little bit more of a rub and you have to help a little bit more. And, and what I've seen sometimes in those spaces is where there's an assumption Mm -hmm. that someone is very different than me and they think differently. And I make that assumption. And what happens is, is we start to play the story in our mind. Oh, they don't get it. They're different. They don't understand. They And so what we believe isn't always true. And we have mm -hmm. to remind ourselves that just because I think it doesn't mean that it's true. And when you can sit down and do this exercise with people, what will often happen is it, it'll, it allows people to have an awareness that there's more things that bring those people together in terms of shared values than they actually thought. And so it can break down a lot of barriers and open up conversations where people really weren't really even open to having conversations because they felt that there was such a great difference that those conversations would either not go well or there would be no point. Uh, and I think that when you can really identify that we're most of us are more alike than we're different. And when you can, you know, kind of realize that and have those those candid opportunities to identify those pieces, then I think it allows people to realize that we actually have the same common goal. I I was at a conference years and years and years ago, and this was really before I got kind of into leader. Like, it, I mean, I've always been in leadership roles, but before I started realizing that leadership was my passion and I wanted to help people create really healthy workplaces for others. And I remember a human resource person had had spoke and said it was a quote, and I think it's um the the two people are Gunter and Whitaker, and it was the culture of an organization is created by the worst behavior it's willing to tolerate. And so I, the reason I bring that up here is because one of the exercises that I get teams that I work with who are not functioning cohesively and there can often be a lot of discord and dysfunction is to sit down with them and sort of reverse engineer it in order to have people acknowledge that there's shared values and that they they do have core values that align there has to be trust in that group because people don't want to show vulnerability if they don't trust that that's going to be accepted or that they're not going to be made fun of so what i do in those situations is i sort of reverse engineer it and i say to them okay so what is the worst behavior that this group would be willing to tolerate amongst each other in terms of how we show up for each other, the words we use, the behaviors that we demonstrate, what is the worst behaviors that we're willing to tolerate? And generally speaking, they can, you know, they come out right away. They're very fast, but then you can kind of work backwards from there and say, okay, so we know what we don't want to be. We know what we don't want to represent or how we want to show up. So what are the things that we can agree align with everybody in the group? Wow, that's powerful, especially if you take it with a team that maybe has some you know, issues gelling and you ask what is the, the worst thing that we're willing to accept really having that dialogue and discussion, I'm sure a lot of leaders will get some answers that's surprising to them of having that discussion. So I'm sure that's a very impactful exercise of talking that through. There was one thing that you mentioned too that I thought was uh, worth mentioning again. And, and you talked about how there's so much information 
at our fingertips that uh, ignorance is a choice. And you said that was your belief, but I, I think that's really powerful. And I, and I agree. There's so much information out there. The reason you don't know is because you don't want to know. You're not surrounding yourself with people who do know, uh, and you're not really cultivating ideas that are different than yours. Doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but it, it you should be aware. So I think that was powerful because Thank there's a you. lot of people that are, are walking around ignorant by choice. Well, and I think that, you know, sometimes I feel that I have to preface that by saying that I really try to meet people where they're at. For me, it's not about like, if you don't believe what I believe that you're wrong. I don't really have any judgment um, either way. You're, you're allowed to think and do and believe what you want to believe. I don't, doesn't have to align with my core values. Um, but if you want to have a conversation, a respectful, meaningful conversation, I expect you to be open to hear opinions and comments that are different than the ones that you believe to be true. It's not about trying to win a debate. It's it's really about expressing yourselves. And I think that when I say that ignorance is a choice, what I mean by that is that if I believe something, I have to research that to not only be seeking out information that's going to align with my belief system so I can then validate it and say, oh, see, I knew that was true because all this information tells me it's true. I also need to be seeking out information in places that will challenge my belief system. And then I need to sit in that space and say, does this make sense? Is it science-based? Is there evidence to verify this? Is this just a belief of one person who put up a blog or a post and there's nothing to really substantiate it or, you know, I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done to do that. It's not really just about going to the internet and, you know, pulling up the first five articles that show up. Those are popular. That doesn't mean that they're accurate and they're true. And again, that's part of not being ignorant is recognizing that it you have to do the work to be able to challenge yourself around things that you believe to be able to then determine whether or not you're still going to hold that belief to be true or whether or not you maybe have to, you know, think about things a little bit differently. Absolutely. So I know in a time as, as, it, as it is now, and especially in healthcare and really in any industry right now where people are burnt out, they're short staffed, you know, they are, are really, you know, trying to do a lot with the few resources that they have. And they could be thinking, you know, Michelle, this sounds great. This sounds great of, you know, being a, a leader with humility and building trust and, and taking that approach. But I have all of these demands that I must meet in my work environment. How do I balance it? And what do I prioritize? Because sometimes people don't think they think maybe this soft skills or, or these leadership skills are are shouldn't be at the forefront meaning that i need to focus on the deliverables focus on the tasks focus on the projects so what are what are your thoughts especially with new leaders who maybe were very technical and and have transitioned to leadership and have all of this weighing on them with their particular teams yeah, you know what? I don't think that I have a great answer for you. And, and I'm probably going to sound like a ball, like a politician when I respond and say that, you know, I, I this is part of the 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 problem is that we typically hire leaders 
to be put into positions where we know that they have the skills and the abilities to do the core function of the job well. We know that they're competent to do the job well. And most organizations just make the assumption that they'll figure out how to lead people. Like somehow we're just going to figure this out. And, and that's really setting people up for failure because the reality of it is, is that you don't just figure out leadership. Some people, it comes a little bit more naturally intrinsically too. But for a lot of people, they have to understand the science between um, you know, themselves and, and people and really understanding how to make those meaningful connections and how to do it in a way where they can see uh, you know, re responses from people fairly quickly and, and where it still feels authentic and genuine and they don't feel that they're pretending to be something or someone that they're not. And that can be a really difficult journey. So, you know, I, I tell people that if you're interested in leadership and you want to end up in a leadership role, the first thing that you can do for yourself is to do a lot of self-exploration and self-discovery. That really is the first step. Understand what are your biases? Because we all have them. So, you know, when people are like, I don't have biases, I'm like, that's garbage. We all have them. You need to sit in it and figure out what they are. Um, journal, really get clear on what your purpose is. Why do you want to lead people? What's the why? That can't be wavering. It needs to be very clear. Uh, what is the purpose behind that? What is the driving force? What makes you feel passionate about that? Those are the things that you're going to need when you're feeling really overwhelmed and you're being pulled in 15 different directions. Uh, so, you know, I think that there's a lot of work leading up to kind of being in a leadership role. Um, being a leader and becoming a leader are very different, right? Like the act of leading and leadership are very, very different. So I think that people need to do the work before they kind of get into that position. And that's not something that is mainstream. We're not taught that. A lot of organizations are not prepared still to put money into developing people into leadership roles that um, so that they can be successful when they get there. They just assume that they're going to figure it out. Uh, and that's where I'm, you know, hoping to sort of change that needle a little bit in, in having people recognize that, um, that, that that's, that's an important part of this is really recognizing that if you don't support people before they get into that position, um, you're really just setting them up for failure. And so it's good business practice. You know, in healthcare, we talk about the two things, like the two modalities I've always said where we have, we already have validated research on this is the whole idea of patient-centered care. We know that if we give focused care on meeting individual needs of our patients, they, they typically have better outcomes. They'll go home sooner. They recover more quickly. Why? Because we're focusing on their specific needs and priorities. We're meeting their needs in a very specific way. So I've always asked the question, why don't we do that for our employees? And second of all, why are we making it about the customer experience? It should be about the employee experience because when your employees feel valued and you're treating them well and they're, they know that you're, they are the most important thing for that business, they will perform well and your clients, your patients, whomever your demographic is, will get the best possible customer service experience because your people will be fully engaged. They will be committed. They will think that you're the employer of choice. Um, they will be telling everybody, you need to come work here because it's the best place on earth to work. It is just good business practice. And so 
it can be really difficult as an emerging leader to have those conversations with a senior executive to say, hey, like, this is just good business practice. So one of the things I did in my early beginnings of my career was I worked for an organization that did not believe in any of these. They thought it was soft leadership. They thought I was too soft to my employees and kind of the woo-woo and it would never work. And the great thing was is that um, my clinical outcomes, my KPI scores were exceeding not only everybody else in the company, but provincially we were killing it. And so people were coming to me like, what are you doing? Like, well, come on for the ride and I'll show you. And that really started to get some buy-in from not only our senior executive, but also my colleagues who were really struggling and they were burnt out. And that's not to say that I didn't go home and have days where I asked myself, like, what am I doing? But it's to say that I knew that my, I knew that we had a team that was respectful and that we were working together and we would work through the really hard stuff and we would really enjoy the wins on the days when we had really great days too. Um, but it was just the work of being consistent and not allowing somebody to tell me that what I believe to be true and what I know in terms of treating people like human beings in the workplace was wrong. I stood true to that and I said, no, I don't care. Like you can make fun of me, but I believe this at my core to be the right thing to do and I'm going to do it. And that can take a lot of determination. And that's not always easy for people to do. So I don't like to say, just be strong, because I think that that's something that will come with sometimes age and practice and, um, and with lived experience. And, and we have to acknowledge that that's not going to be easy for everybody. So um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. I know it was a long winded response. But um, it, you know, it's, it's a it's a complicated, I think, part of leadership in terms of how we view leadership in the corporate spaces and in healthcare. No, I thought that was actually a really good answer. I thought that was a great answer, actually. And you're right. It is a complicated thing. And and that's why I started this show for people to get information. Sometimes you may not be aware of the tools you need, and sometimes you may not have them in the workplace. So I, I believe that you can get mentorship from anywhere. You have to have an open mind. So our time today is coming to a close. I told you before the show was going to go by really, really fast, and it did. But how can our viewers, our listeners get and stay connected with you? Yeah, thank you for asking. So I, people can go to my website. It's, um, I, I always joke, I, I laugh before I say this because, you know, when you start a business, you, I thought that, sorry, this is my dog. I thought that if I created a really unique name, that that would, you know, stand out. And what I realized was that it really just makes it difficult for people to spell and, and know how to find me. So it was probably a rookie mistake, but Curious is the Latin word for health. Some of you may know that. So um, you can go to my website. I'm at www.curis, which is C-U-R-I-S consulting.ca. There it is on the screen. Or if you're on LinkedIn, um, you can, or sorry, on um, uh, Instagram, you can find me on Instagram at Curious underscore consulting. And I have a link tree and some things there. I haven't been as active there in the last couple of months, but I'm, you know, I'm hoping to get back. But if, if you're really looking to um, kind of see what I do, or if you want to book a call with me, then you can go to my website and all the information is there. Awesome. 
Well, I have learned so much from you tonight. And so I definitely appreciate you being on. I know the viewers, the listeners, those catching this live, as well as the replay, I know that they have gotten tons of knowledge from you. And sometimes it's hearing a different voice, even if it's some of the things we may have heard before, I think hearing it differently. And then it's like, you know what? I need to revisit that or this really stuck when you said it this way. So thank you so much for coming and sharing with my audience. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It was really a pleasure. And and uh, I, I hope that people have left with, with some gems that they can use and take into the world. So thank you again for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. So <laughs> viewers, listeners, whatever nuggets you got tonight, I would love to hear what you got from this episode. You could drop it in the chat. You could send me a note but I would love to hear what you got from this episode. I know you got tons of gems from uh, tonight's episode. So again, our time has come to a close, but thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson. We'll be back next week, same time, same channel, same place with another amazing mentor. So until next time, my friends, I hope you have an amazing week and don't forget to share this broadcast out. Thank you so much. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson, where Taiwana speaks with leaders who share nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your personal and professional life. Follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Coach T. Wilson. Connect on LinkedIn or visit www.coachtwilson.com. And remember, in life, learn as much as you can, appreciate often, and lead fearlessly.